day, good folks. You are listening to talk that keeps you woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Pollocker is my home, my dear friend from more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Okay, folks, welcome back to the podcast. And before we start, I just want to excuse the sound, move to a different room. And there's a little echo chamber in here. So I hope you can bear with us. With that being said, I want to welcome my partner on. How's it going and how was your week? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. I am well. My week was good. I attended the Corporate Council Women of Color Career Strategies Conference this week at the Gaylord Hotel at National Harbor. And it was a lot of fun just hanging out with old friends and over 2,000 Black women attorneys from all over the country. It was very inspirational, very informative, and a whole lot of fun. We heard from Kim Coles, the comedian from Uh, that was in Living Single, um, Sinclair, and we heard from Beyonce's mom, Tina Knowles. So it was exciting, lots of fun. And I'm wearing my pink hat in honor of the first day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and ready to go. How was your week, Dr. A? Uh, Nothing too satisfying. You know, happy to be alive as always. Um, heavy work week, and you know, I was just looking forward to payday to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> and we always start our show off with our wow for the week. And this week, coming from Brother H. Rap Brown, who says, Individuals do not create rebellions, conditions do. So he's basically saying that. We're not fighting for anything. When I say we, I'm talking about African-American people. We're just not in the streets uh, willy-nilly. We're not raising our voice just because, even though we are allowed to with freedom of speech, but we're actually fighting because uh, conditions um, dictate that we do. And I think that's basically what he's saying. We're not a bunch of crazy, Single fans out here, we are uh, fighting injustice. What say you? Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, they act like we're just out here and we have nothing better to do than to fight and protest and march and resist racism and oppression in America. Imagine how much more we could accomplish if we didn't have to be concerned with racism, tolerating daily microaggressions and just basically just trying to stay alive. But we're put 
in this position where we can't sit idly by and let people just run roughshod over. We did not ask for this fight. The circumstances under which we find ourselves requires us to make a change. And that's why I agree with my H. Rap Brown. Okay. So H. Rap Brown is uh, wow for the week. Individuals do not create rebellions, conditions do. Let us move on. All right, our first plug of the day is our product. And I'm going to go to a snack with this. Um, this is Fritos. <laughs> Fritos go way, way back with me. These are the scoop ones because we, you know, get queso cheese and things of that nature. It is a snack around the house. Uh, not every day, but once in a while when you have a taste for salt, sometimes we use that. So Fritos is uh, the product of the week. Well, all right. Let us move on. Let us move on. Okay, what's going on this week? And we're going to start with Ibram uh, Kennedy, Dr. Ibram Kennedy at Boston University seems to be a controversy up at BU. This is a very interesting story. Um, I actually just fell across this last minute of the week, really. And it was interesting because they had, when they hired him, they adopted a center called the um, Anti-Racist Center. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things at BU is surrounded his ideology of anti-racism. And um, they're examining like all the courses and the coursework to find out if it's anti-racism to the point that they have monitors and to make sure any that no uh, racist or not let, me, not, not let me say racist, no non-anti-racism is being taught, if I said that correctly. So you mean they actually had people sitting in classrooms monitoring? No, I, I, don't, I don't. I think it might have just been recordings. Oh, okay. Um, and then they would go back and review it and see if there was anything. Yeah, they had pulled some professors up about it. And it, it, it was a big concern. Um, they Then it seems like some professors, you know, they don't mind his ideology. Um, but then they talked about the mismanagement of the funds, the um, the money from the grants are not being used properly. But I don't know if they're being misused. And then when he he got there, he had fired a lot of the faculty there. 
So we're talking about the grants from all the guilt money that all the corporations paid to different organizations to support black causes and to the universities to promote this anti-racist ideology and all of that stuff. So this was all the guilt money from after George Floyd's murder, right? I mean, that's how you label it. Uh, I mean, but you know, you remember after George Floyd's murder, all the checks were written and all that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but they hired him at Boston University to to implement this anti-racist effort, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Okay. And so Ibram Kendi, Dr. Dr. Kendi most notably wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I think his work just sort of got more notoriety after the racial reckoning in America after George Floyd's murder. So wasn't it also a controversy there because there were a lot of complaints received at that center that he started? Did he start that center? The Center for Anti-Racism? They, 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 they named it after him, yes. Okay. And then they started laying people off and... Well, he did. Right. And, and so people basically started complaining. Uh, the, the people wrote commentaries about how he, this was basically a grift for him. They're thinking that he was profiting and enriching himself. No, they they weren't saying that. I didn't you I didn't see that part. Okay. Um it just said it wasn't going to the things like it was supposed to spread across different universities, so this ideology would be adopted at other universities. Okay, so there was a writer, an, another. I, I think this was another, prof, well, one prof, a professor at Boston University. Oh, no, sorry. He was an assistant professor of environmental studies at Bates University. His name was, his name is Tyler Austin Harper. He's saying that um, Kendi is, Dr. Kendi is a huckster who was happy to cash in on America's racial trauma by transforming into an anti-racism guru during the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And he's saying that the Dr. Kendi's philosophy that was covered in his book that I mentioned, How to Be an Anti-Racist, did real damage because it diminished the evil of racism and made it common. And he says, in my view, the real damage that Dr. Kendi's philosophy has wrought on American culture is in the way he turned words like racism and white supremacy into banal everyday terms like any others. Once reserved for the gravest of racial trespasses, thanks to the influence of Dr. Kendi and other charlatans, racism is now routinely employed to describe anything from workplace microaggressions to terrorist attacks. I mean, I think that's harsh, but yeah, this, this, this that that's what I I mean, that's what I thought this whole controversy was was about. I mean, part of it. I don't know who this person is, 
Yeah. Uh, I would like to see his nationality because when you when you start saying things are not racist um, toward African Americans like microaggressions, you know, um, it's how that individual receives it. Right. You know, and you wouldn't know if you didn't walk in their shoes. But I don't know if the person that's saying it is an African-American themselves. So even you telling somebody else, you know, something like that, that's harsh. And then calling somebody basically a fraud um, after they did scholarly work, um, prove it. Well, the guy looks, I looked him up. He looks black. Um, you know, but then, you know, a lot of times there could be hateration as well. You know, jealous because he's another professor of color who has received all of this notoriety and probably did. I mean, I don't know. His book was very successful. So he may have made money. You may have earned um, a, a lot of money. I don't know how much, but you know, you do get some jealousy. So maybe this is why uh, Professor Harper is saying this about Dr. Kendi. But I, I mean, to me, I actually read this book before it became a thing. And I think it's important not to lose sight of the, the facts. And the fact is, is that there is racism in America and that we do need to, to eradicate it. And what I took away from the book, and I thought it was, I thought it was a novel issue at the time, at least it was to me that we have to not only be, it's not enough to just be. To say that you're not a racist. Right. It's not you enough. To say racist. You have to act. You have to, first of all, identify it wherever it exists, speak up against it and work to eradicate it. And that to me continues to ring true regardless of what has happened here with Dr. Kendi and Boston University. So yeah, people can call him a race baiter or a grifter who's just trying to enrich himself um, with racism. But I don't necessarily agree with that. But even if that were true, it still does not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It still does not uh, discredit the truth, which is, is that racism is alive and well in America and we still have to continue to fight it. What do you think? Well, I'm not sure if there people are debating that racism isn't alive in America. Um, I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying we can't lose sight of that with this issue. That's all. Okay, go ahead. I'm not saying that people are saying that there's not racism in America. What I'm saying is like some of these folks may not have the fortitude to speak out against it. Um, they might be worried about what position that puts them in. They might be worried about losing a group of friends and, you know, they might be worried about losing employment. Um, I understand what he's saying. I agree with him, but I'm not quickly you, chastising people who don't do it. You agree with who? 
I agree with Dr. Kennedy about being okay. anti-racist, but I don't chastise that those that fail to speak up out against it. Okay. Well, it may not be but everybody's reasons. It may not be everybody's ministry, but I do think that if you are able to, you should definitely identify racism and speak out against it and work to eradicate it. I do think this is this whole situation at Boston University is very unfortunate, but I don't think any of us are really surprised by it. To me, I feel like we were all bracing for this kind of backlash to happen after George Floyd's death and all of the kumbaya come to Jesus moments that we had across the country. I felt like we if there was a short window um, for all of the gifts that we, that, you know, all of the gifts. Well, that we well, I, I, I'm, I'm and I knew that eventually it was going to be over. And so this is the this is the backlash that we're having now with voter suppression and the and and abolishing all the DEI programs and that kind of thing. I think that's the backlash that we're that we're getting now. It's like an overcorrection with all the well, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I was disturbed going back to the article. I was disturbed by them saying the anti-racist ideology was only his view of the anti-racist ideology um, that they wanted everybody to adopt at the school. And they felt like freedom of speech was under attack because of his ideology. And that's something that is worth discussing um, if that's the case. I don't think one rules um, if, if your opinion, like, well, how you're teaching American history is racist, and we have to explore that. You know, we just take it, an individual's opinion and pasting it on every instructor at the university and say, well, you have to follow this certain ideology. That could be a little murky and a little dangerous. Okay, so are you saying that you would expect that that most of the faculty would agree with Dr. Kendi and wouldn't there there wouldn't be any pushback with his effort to examine uh, the curric the curriculum in different disciplines and make sure that there aren't um, there isn't anything that would I, I'm saying you can't destroy perspectives. That's what I'm trying to say. Say again? You can't eradicate perspectives. You know, now if something is blatant, yeah, you can call it out. But eradicating it is different. So say, for instance, Columbus discovering America. Well, we know that's not true, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can say that's racial teaching, even though people would say, no, how do you explain that? It's because you're giving credit to somebody, which is credit isn't due. Um, and that person, well, wasn't he was a white Spaniard, let's say that. Um, and so, and he didn't discover America, right? And so I can say those teachings of your teaching like that, excuse me, should be discussed in, you know, uh, 
broached and talked about, about eliminating that type of teaching. Um, uh, you just teaching uh, history that, or teaching things that are not true because. Right, right. Yeah. if it's that point, <laughs> yeah, but if it's just a perspective on American politics and you're saying, well, that's racist the way you're teaching it, I think we have to explore that further. Like what you can have an opinion that it is, but are we following that certain philosophy and ideology now that makes me teach different? I just think you have to be careful when you're invading on freedom of speech. Um, so you have to walk a very fine line. That's all I'm saying. Okay, but there, I mean, I, I guess we would have to see that there's evidence of somebody's freedom of speech being infringed upon. Yeah, but, they were saying that in the article. They were saying that in the article. And now, and then down at the bottom, there was a video, which was extensive. This is in the Wall Street Journal article, talking about how teachers can say things that offends a student, and the student can be offended and be written up about it. The teacher can be written up about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's ways to still have different perspectives on an issue and still um, remain within the, <laughs> within the bounds of what may be considered racist. I mean, you don't have to be racist just to um, espouse a different perspective or a different philosophy. The person to label that, though. What gives him, no offense to Dr. Kennedy, what gives him the right to label that, you know? And we, we, are, are we coming from, because the professor is like, no, I'm, this is not racist. This is what I, I'm teaching you. There's a battle with that. Well, first, I mean, the first test is, is this a fact? Is this the truth? That's the first test. Well, that's the, that could be the first test in history, but that ain't the first test in English. That ain't the first test in philosophy. That well, ain't the first test in psychology. Well, yes, it, yes, it is. Because, I mean... No, because there's no... You can't say exactly what is. Like I said, unless it's blatant. If, there's, if you're taking an English course and there's not one author that you're reading that is of color, no no Black authors, right. that's... That's not racist. Okay, we, we know that they exist and that they're brilliant that's writers. That's not racist, though. So for... Okay. Go ahead, argue your point. We're on a podcast and we have different... No, that's, that's just, the one, that's just what I'm saying. The point is there should be representation for everyone. I mean, there should be no English course that's not... If it's not devoted... Because, for example, and when I was in college, I took a course called Black Women Writers. Okay, okay, that's clear. You're going to study Black Women Writers. But if I'm studying just a, a general uh, English course yeah. and there's no black there's all white male authors that's a problem because the implication is that there are no black authors that are worthy of being taught in a college classroom or worthy of being studied worthy of being read and enjoyed you see what i'm saying so that yeah, could be a problem i understand fully what you're saying yeah, so. If that person is not an authority in that area and that person is reading notable books 
in that area. That's why a syllabi is put out beforehand so students can make a decision whether they want to take this professor's class or not. So that really eradicates that. Okay, well, yeah. Well, freedom of speech is the argument that people lean on whenever someone questions whether what they're doing or saying is racist. So I, agree. I would expect for them to raise that issue. Let us move on. All right. Daryl George was suspended from Barbara's High School for his hairstyle. That's the next topic we're about to broach. Um, uh, <laughs> this is, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's a tough one um, because they're, they're trying to make it out. Here's a case right here. They're, they're trying to make it out that it's a cultural thing. Well, first, okay. So the family of yeah. a black student. His name is Daryl George. He's a 17-year-old student at Barbers Hill High School in Mount Bellevue, Texas. There's, there's, um, he was suspended from his high school over his hairstyle, and his family is filing filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the state's attorney general. They're alleging that the, the state failed to enforce a new state law that outlaws discrimination on hairstyles. Right. He, uh, and so Daryl George, the 17 year old student at Barbers Hill High School in Mount Bellevue, Texas, has been serving this in-school suspension since August the 31st. Um, the uh, school officials are saying that his dreadlocks violated the district's dress and grooming code. Although the district's policy does not prohibit dreadlocks or braids, it states that male students cannot, quote, be gathered or worn in a style that would allow the hair to extend below the top of a t-shirt collar, below the eyebrows, or below the earlobes when let down. Yeah. But his mother have denied that the teenager's hairstyle violates the district's policy. They're saying he all, all he has is twisted dreadlocks tied on the top of his head. And he wears this as an outward expression of his black identity and culture. So they're like, how can his hair, you can see his hair in this picture. It's like bra braided dreadlocks. So his hair is up and out of the way. So right. yeah, there's no reason why they should have a problem right. with his dreadlocks. Right. If he keeps it like it is, I'm sorry, those out there in listening land and not viewing land, we have a photo of Dow George with his mother and his locks are um, pinned up. So they're not below the eyebrows or they're not below his earlobes. So there should be no reason that this young man is suspended. Um, again, microaggression. Exactly. Or macroaggression. Exactly. 
So uh, uh, I just think that they're being stubborn and again, even the policy of long hair is wrong unless it's, it's a private school. If it's a private school, do you, but you're a public school, you're getting public funds. You can't do that. Yeah. I just think this is just flat out wrong. Just flat out wrong. And this is exactly what I was talking about earlier when we were talking about the words of wisdom. It's These are the kinds of issues that Black people have to deal with on a daily basis. It's like we have to defend our lives instead of just living our lives. And this, this young man is just wasting precious time in in-school suspension for his hair. For I mean, when he could be learning, he could be studying, he could be playing, he could be dreaming, he could just be. And, and, and this is the problem that we have. We can't just be and live in this country without having to have our attention diverted to these issues like this. And imagine the impact that this is going to have on this young person. And it could affect his self-esteem. It's hard enough when you're in school to, you know, dealing with maybe bullies and people teasing you about your appearance and that kind of thing. And so now this is happening to him by the, the school system. It's like, worse than bullies almost you know what i mean so it's just it's 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 just unfair so i just think this is just flat out wrong and it is a violation of the crown act which the crown act it basically is an acronym let me tell you what it stands for it stands for Uh, create a respectful and open world for natural hair. And the Crown Act bans race-related hair discrimination, and it's intended to address educational and employment discrimination against Black people. Some hairstyles and hair textures described in the Act include tightly coiled or tightly curled, dreadlocks, cornrows, twists, braids, bantu knots, and afros. And Texas is one of 24 states that have enacted a version of the Crown Act. There's a federal version that passed in the House, the United States House, in March 2022. But surprise, surprise, it was blocked by the Senate. Yeah, this is not making any sense. Um, I think they should let this young man back into school. And so this issue could be over with. Agree. Amen. And let us move on. Yeah. All right. So we move on. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rolling Stone founder. I think it's Jan Winner. 
um, had some disturbing words to say about women artists and uh, black artists. And that's Winner, W-E-N-N-E-R, because he is not a (laughs) W-I-N-N-E-R. He's a loser. (laughs) He has his his opinion, so I'm going to just paint the opinion that he has. I think, and and he, well, just for facts, he got removed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's not a decision maker there anymore because he was writing a book, another book where he's interviewed rock and roll artists, which happens to be all white males. He claims like these are his favorite artists. But when they asked him, like, why didn't you speak to somebody like Joni Mitchell or Stevie Wonder, you know, he answered kind of similar. He said, like, they're geniuses in rock and roll and they're great, but they're not articulate. And they, he feels like they couldn't rise to the level of his basically interview or conversation because they're not smart enough. That's how, that's what I read into it, which was a horrible statement to say, but that, that's his opinion. What do, what do you think? I obviously (laughs) disagree with what he said. I don't. (sighs) Of course we do. Yeah. I mean, so this, this, this was, he was talking about at the time he was talking about this book that he wrote, right. Called masters. Yeah. And so he's saying the reason why, and correct me if I'm wrong, the reason why um, there were no black, black and women geniuses in his book, the masters is because of what you what you said like he said they're not articulate enough yeah to rise to the level of his interview i'm just flabbergasted i mean that first of all i i don't think that's you can't that to me is not considered an opinion it's that because that's just not opinion opinion. but, but what i mean by that is opinions have to be based on facts He's basing it on his perceptions. You don't know who he has interviewed. Okay. All right. Well, I just disagree that there are no uh, musicians that are this brilliant. Anyone who would be uh, even that would rise to the level to be talented enough to be considered to be in the Hall of Fame to me. He calls them geniuses. That's what he calls them. But he's saying in music. So you can teach musicians. Like I teach musicians. Musicians think outside of the box. This is just my opinion. I'm not saying this is factual, but they think outside of the box. They do things differently. You know, you give them a set of instructions and rules and they're asking, can I do it this way? Can I do that that way? Um, he comes with all of his, I guess, his past experience in interviewing people. And he says that they're not articulate enough to rise to the level basically of his interview, um, um, his, his conversation. Um, that's what I'm surmising by that. That's what he basically said. So for one, you know, it's just his, it's his opinion about his level of conversation. Well, I think his opinion is elitist to say, for one, um, is is very superior to say. 
um, that they can't meet your level of intellect. This is just infuriating, really. <laughs> well, I'm, ju I'm just glad that right after he said this, he was removed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's board of directors. Yeah. And I'm glad he was. It's par he should have been. Uh, that's what he get. That's what he gets because what he said is just flat out stupid, in my opinion. We want to talk about opinions. That's my opinion. And I, but you know what? I'm glad he said it because now everyone can see what we already knew. Why there are so few black people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's because of gatekeepers like him who are just flat out racist. I mean, they they I put think a, that's a racist statement. They they put a lot of black folks in the seventy percent of the people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are white. Eight yeah. percent are black. So I, I think a lot of it has to. It's do like a hundred people. That's not a I, lot. I think. And it, and what? Hold on, Kim. Hold on, Kim. I think that a lot of it has to do with the genre of music, who they call in rock. They just started letting, you know, other rock and roll folks outside of it in. Um, I think that number will keep decreasing. Um, like that 70% will go down soon. Right, because um, the 8% of Black people that are in there include Nina Simone, Isaac Hayes, Ray Charles, James Brown, the Jackson 5, Prince, Jay-Z, and LL Cool J. So they just started adding yeah. hip-hop artists right. recently. But what, I'm going to tell you what, infuriate, what infuriates me. What makes me angry is that <laughs> a lot of times what happens is White people will come in, uh, culturally appropriate our music, remix it, and, and then now, because yeah, I mean, we started black people, black people started rock and roll. So now you want to sit and try to be a gatekeeper and determine who is good enough to be considered the best of rock and roll? Like that's just to me. I mean, he wasn't the only gatekeeper. There's a I know, but that's he, was, he was one of them, and right. he he has demonstrated the reason why so few black people have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You can't but, say I mean, that because hold on, yes, I'm gonna tell you. Know, yes, it is. He, he has that mindset of okay that he we did are call these people musical geniuses. Inferior. He no. No, to mind, me, this is the mindset, though. Okay. They're like, we're not good okay. enough. This, you know? this is what I'm getting out. To, this is what I'm getting out. Yeah, you can play and you're a musical genius, but you're not intellectually inclined. So he, we can't say you can't call if you're calling somebody a musical genius, which he called Joni Mitchell and other women, and which he called black artists like Stevie Wonder, you know, Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye, what have you a great, great artist. He did say that. So we can't say that his beliefs that they don't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If we just stick to the article, his belief is like, yeah, they're musical geniuses, but they're not intellectually inclined. What does that have to do with me? 
I'm so confused. He didn't. He this. You get, this is my point. This wasn't. He wasn't not letting them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He wasn't interviewing them for his book. But what I'm saying to you is that he artic. Okay, we don't want to talk about articulation. He articulated why he didn't think they were worthy of being included in his book, right. and he is one of the co-founders of the Rolling Stone magazine, right? And yeah. he is one of the people who makes the selections on who gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he is a racist and has these racist ideas, thinking that black people are somehow inferior. Because we know that it's not true that he that there are no black artists that are, are articulate. That's ridiculous. I don't disagree with you, but I think it's a push for you to say that's what they're saying. He's saying about them musically, because he said they were musical geniuses. That's what he said to the woman and to the arts. He but just you see what I'm saying, right? You I do. You're trying to say because he's a racist and didn't let them into his book that that goes to the way he would vote them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Exactly. I'm saying we really don't have facts. You think he's the only one? That's what? my point. He ain't the only one. I don't know. I, I don't know when it comes to music because Rolling Stone, the number one vocalist of all time was a black person. That was Aretha Franklin. You know, and they had like four or five black people in the top ten. You know, so when it comes to music, I can't say they're totally discriminatory, right? But when it, when it comes to this book, they moved him. They could have moved him for that reason because those are his views. Um, but unless they might have known his voting record, all right. So you could be correct on all of this. So I'm to you, saying. you think it's totally okay that it's 70% white people in it and 8% black people in it. That's well, let me say this. Me. Let you, me say this. okay with that? I'm okay with it first because it was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Chuck Berry, Little Richie, Jimi Hendrix, anybody that played rock should be in there. But if, you, if you're saying Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not the Music Hall of Fame and you're bringing in R&B artists, you're bringing in um, hip, -hop. hip hop artists. If you're bringing in country music and things of that nature into these into this place, then yeah. If you're just calling it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you're accepting all genres, when did they start accepting all genres? From, was it from the inception of it? If it was, then yeah, they're guilty. If it's been lately, then maybe they're not guilty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm just judging by the name of the place. You know, they they wanted to induct Dolly Parton, and she said, "You know what? No, thank you." Yeah, That's why well, I like Dolly Parton. Yeah. Okay. Well, it could be. I'm not <laughs> saying that. You know like to me, okay. if LL Cool J and Jay Z, no offense to them, are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, why is it? And I don't even know if they are. Why is it Run DMC in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They should have been the first rap group to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. Um, because uh, they because they did rock and roll songs but to me know? i look at it like i don't really give it that much weight the rock and roll hall of fame i mean it's great i'm sure it's an honor to be in it or whatever but this is why i don't really give a lot of 
credence to these kinds of things because it's it's a matter of opinion. There and we can it. see that a lot of times opinions can be racist. Right. That's, that's how I look at it. So, again, your mouth ain't no prayer book. Just because you said these people are, deserve to be in there doesn't mean that they do. No, and just because you said be others book. don't doesn't deserve mean that they to don't. Be in his book. To me, to me, the real arbiter of who deserves the acclaim and the credit is the people. We're, we're, we're the arbiters of who is the best. Do you know what I mean? And that comes from who we support, who we go see, who we pay to go see, whose music we buy, who's, who really moves us, whose music we stream. That's really what it's all about. Because I can, I mean, there's no reason why I can think, start listing a whole bunch of people who should be, who, who would be in my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So. Mine wouldn't be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. 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 So. And let us move on. <laughs> All right, we're done with him. <laughs> Let's move on to something that's even crazier. So there was an arrest made in for the murder of Tupac Shakur. 27 years later, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis arrested for the murder of uh, Tupac. Um, not to say he was they weren't saying he was the shooter they saying he was the orchestrator uh, mm -hmm. what's your thoughts because i don't have many thoughts on this okay can i tell you what i think about it i'm gonna play it for you okay let me play it again for the people in the back that's what i think about when i think about this guy First of all, let me just say, I'm glad he's being brought to justice because for his role in this murder, because I am a fan of Tupac, a big fan of Tupac, and he was senselessly killed in cold blood. And this guy was the one who provided the gun to the trigger man who actually shot him out of the back seat of the Cadillac. Keefe D was in the front seat of the Cadillac. And I just, the reason why I say he's a big dummy is because everyone else who would have been held accountable for this murder has passed away. So he's the only person that's living. He almost got away with murder. And yet he decided to incriminate himself, write a book, and basically tell everybody his role in the murder. That's got to be about the dumbest thing that anybody could do. When you almost got unless he felt guilty of, unless he felt right. guilty about it well then he could have done it 50 years ago yeah but it, it, it does, we don't we, we not the judge of that i know but what I, his heart. okay yeah i mean he's dumb but i'm glad that he's being brought to justice again like i said i'm a big tupac fan and you know my only regret is that the other people who were involved are are not going to be brought to justice because they've since passed away so that's just how I feel about it. I, I think basically the guy who did shoot him, his name was, and this is according to Keefe D, he said that 
it was his nephew, Orlando Anderson. His nickname was Baby Lane. And he said that he was one of two, uh, Baby Lane, his nephew, was one of two people in the back seat of this Cadillac that they were riding in from which the shots were fired. And he was a known rival of Tupac Shakur. And he was the one that we all see on the, remember the, the video from the casino when they got into the fight and it was a big brawl and they, they he got stomped. Yeah. Remember that? So this was supposed to be retaliation. It was retaliation. For, right. For the, for the butt whooping. And I just think he should have just, it, it, this was a senseless killing. He should have just taken that butt whooping like a man and just took the L and, and just, went on he could have matter of fact it was a missed opportunity to sue and get a lot of money he should have just sued him and got some money then you would have been able to tell your story that you got whooped by uh by Tupac Shakur that would have been your little claim to fame you could have wrote a book this is why I like my partner she thinks rationally from her head but (laughs) you don't think about how they were brought up and what life they were leading you know um he was in the gang so to speak Right. And that's what gang bangers do. Right. Okay. And so yeah. like I, I T said that Tupac shouldn't have been messing around on no gang stuff because so that wasn't his life. Now, I'm not sitting up true. here disagreeing you about the senselessness of black men killing one another. I do agree with it. But that was retaliation to what he did. And okay, that was about- that was the payback. OK, but what about Keefe D? Is 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 that the gang life to just. Start telling on people. I mean, he that you said the three people he told on was deceased, and okay. we don't know Keefe D's heart. Maybe he aren't you supposed to be gang banging till you die? I mean, we don't know his heart, so you can speculate all you want. I'm just going from the facts that he could have felt guilty and said, you know what, I'm gonna write this book. I know they're gonna pick me up and question me, but I don't feel good about this. We don't know. You making an assumption that he's stupid and dumb, but if he did it, you know, uh, for to save his soul, then so be it. Mm. Okay. Well, did you see the the documentary about Tupac Shakur, the Dear Mama? No, I didn't see that. Oh yeah, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. I I saw it, and I I saw that Tupac was. What I already knew, he was super talented and he, although he was problematic in, in some ways, he was evolving into a powerful, introspective, and I think honorable man, because. I think he was that first and I think it was going the other way. Well, prior to him getting getting into the, yeah, I remember Tupac coming up. Prior to the, him getting into the hip hop industry, he was clean all the way through, basically. When he got into the hip hop industry, then he started to get in trouble. Um, so what I'm saying is, you'll see talking. in the yeah that that's true. But what you'll see in the documentary is that he was slowly evolving out of that. I think into a, a, an honorable man because what I saw was from the very beginning at 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 his core. I think he loved and only wanted to protect the black community. That's what I got from it. Besides the fact that he's super talented, he was a writer, he's an actor, he was 
obviously a brilliant uh, musician. And like I said, he was very problematic. He had some, you know, I think it was peer pressure that caused him to behave the way he he behaved. And and, and you'll see that once you um once you see the documentary. But rest in peace to Tupac Shakur and good riddance to Dwayne Keefe D. Davis. Okay. And let us move on. So, okay, so today I want to talk about something that I like, and that is baseball caps, and more specifically, new era baseball caps. Now, I am basically, as you can see, I love, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a hat girl. I love hats. I have all kinds of hats. I have fedoras. I have, this is more like a cow, cowboy hat. Um, I like church hats. I like skull caps when it's cold. I like bucket hats. I I like all kinds of hats and I I probably wear a hat just about every day but recently like over the pandemic I was when we weren't going into the office when nobody was going into the office I was I was wearing mostly workout clothes and athleisure wear and mostly every day I would wear a baseball cap. So I basically, I said all that to say that basically I started collecting baseball caps. So I'm going to show you just a couple of the ones that I have added to my collection. Um, this is a new era baseball cap. And this one is a Baltimore Ravens one. I like this one because it's, uh, you know, two colors. It has purple and black. And you can see the Baltimore and gold over the Ravens. I think this is uh, unique. And, you know, I'm from, I'm a D.C. girl. I'm from D.C., but I'm also repping, repping uh, Baltimore, Maryland, because I live in Maryland now. And I like Lamar Jackson. That's my cousin. We got the same last name. That's my cousin. Hey, cousin Lamar, send me some tickets to the Ravens game. Um, and here's another uh, new era uh, Baltimore Ravens baseball cap. This one has, you know, it's a little different. It's gray with the stripe across the front with the logo, the Ravens. And, and then, like I said, I'm, I'm from DC. So I'm also repping DC and I got the Washington commanders new era hat. This one has the, you know, the, the logo on the front and the back. And these are all fitted. I guess new era is known for fitted. I don't know, but these are all fitted. And here's a couple more Commanders ones, the different style. This one is similar to the Baltimore Ravens, that style with the two-tone, the burgundy. Um, what do you call this part of the hat? Visor? What is yeah. this? And then um, it's a fitted with the logo in the back. Um, 
and one more commander's hat. This one I like because it's, it's kind of all black with the, the camouflage, but it's still got the logo on it in black. This one's not a fitted. This one is a snapback. But yes, yeah, so yeah, your girl wears a cap just about every day. <laughs> Get right. into it. And let us move on. All right, we have a special guest in the building today. Um, this is a good friend of mine with the same institution. Her name is Nicole Brown, known as Nikki Brown, and she is the Coochie Coach. And we are going to talk to her about her business and what she does. So welcome Did you get applause. You don't give me a chance to get to it. Everybody knows it's artificial. Okay, my bad. So if you keep your get to it and applause, it seems like it's more official. Okay, gotcha. Hi, right. Miss. Should I call you Nikki Miss Brown? You can call me Nancy. Nikki. You can call me the Coochie <laughs> Coach. <laughs> okay. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast. Yeah. Thank you. We, I, I'm getting feedback. Getting mm. feedback, is it me? Yeah, you on your phone too? No, I'm on my computer. Okay. Um, hold on. Let me turn that down. It's okay. I'm going to start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. About myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear the feedback. Oh, that's sad. Okay. I'm Nikki Brown, better known as the Coochie Coach. I am a native New Yorker. I'm an author, a mom. I went to HBCU, Morgan State University. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I mean, I used to be an educator. Um, I homeschooled my children. My daughter is going to be 10. And I mean, it's a lot to say. What do I say about myself? This is always the challenge. What do I say about me? Well, how, how'd you get to the journey of becoming the Coochie Coach? Well, you know, I tell this story about how I went to this conference and there were these young girls on the dais and they were responsible for running the conversation around vaginas. And the total age of all of them was about the age that I was at that time. And so they were considered the experts uh, on vaginas. So someone said, well, what qualifies you to call yourself the Coochie Coach? And I said, well, 46 years of having one and pushing out eight pounds and two ounces. So, I mean, I say that like in jest, but the reality is I had a lot of family members who were dying from AIDS back in the 90s from a lack of education and a lack of communication around um, sex and intimacy and just the basics of how to care for our bodies and having our bodies be important. And I felt like, well, we could keep watching them die or someone could have a real conversation about why this is happening. And so my business is 
about sex and intimacy, but it's about having those candid conversations that are still too taboo in a society that is riddled with sex. Everybody wants to have sex, but nobody wants to talk about it. And certainly in many of the arenas that I'm in, the um, experts are not talking about their own journeys. So I kind of tell my own story as well. I tell my uh, clients, I live my life out loud so you don't have to. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what do you do? Do you counsel? Do you? So yeah. So, I mean, I say that I'm a coach because I don't have a license to quote unquote counsel. My work is therapeutic. It's not therapy. Mm -hmm. So we have conferences where women come into spaces to discuss the most intimate parts of their lives with a perfect stranger. And what I've found is that people are more willing to tell about themselves when they don't know you personally and still get value out of it. And so I have a signature event called the Coochie Con. And at the Coochie Con, I take people on a journey. So we do meditation, we do you know spiritual work, but more importantly, it's me sharing and then inviting you to share about yourself and your experiences. Now, everybody hasn't had a treacherous sexual past, right? Some people just never had the conversation with their parents. And so they don't feel empowered to have a conversation with their partner. And so we offer uh, tools and tips on how to have those conversations that can be uncomfortable for all too many of us, no matter what age. I say that I work with people from eight to 80 because I've had events with ages 13 to 67 all in one room and everyone getting lots of value based on whatever stage they are in their sexual conversations or in their actual experiences. Yeah. Of course, on college campuses, um, you know, where I teach, sometimes it's a, a difficult topic to, you know, approach. So I have everybody in my classroom take out their cell phones and take a selfie. And then I tell them to look at that picture. And it said, you know, two people got together for at least five minutes and created that. Um, majority of everybody that come into this that comes into this world comes in by the way of sex. You know, there is artificial insemination and other ways to get pregnant nowadays. But you know, um, I don't have the factual information, but I'm sure it's nine out of ten. Um, that conversation, because they're still laughing about it, right? Which shows that they're not at any emotional maturity level to discuss it. And then you learn a, a lot of different things. Um, sexual assault comes into play. Uh, some women not wanting to have sex because they can't because of the pain that they experience doing sexual intimacy. So there's a lot of conversations to be had around sexual intimacy. So that's why when you started it, I was like, the Coochie Coach is a good name, right? And I know you did some of the Coochie Cons and shout out to you without revealing anybody's uh, anonymity, like with um, themselves. Can you tell us some of the extraordinary things you experienced while you've been uh, playing a role as a group coach? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny that you say without revealing anybody's name. Um, I guess, you know, 
the guilty shall remain hidden in that way. Are you speaking about that? Like, because if I tell you, like, and when I think about what your question is asking, I go into what my journey has been, being a survivor of uh, molestation from a family member and managing to move through that experience in my life, not knowing at the time the grave impact it was having on my life, right? So in my world, my mother was my main parent and my mother was in, in my young life crazy as hell. And so I knew that if my mother was told about what happened to me, that she might really kill my cousin, which means that her sister would have to choose between her sister and her son. And so I didn't tell my mother until I was a full grown adult. And then, uh, you know, things begin to happen from there. I told other family members, you know, and the family took sides. And most people have a very difficult time with this. I say that I was blessed by God. This is why I talk about what I do. Because I think that God gave me a way to move through it and still be empowered. And then offer me and have people come into my life that provided me with tools to really maneuver through a situation that all too many take their lives as a result of experiencing. And so I'm saying I'm blessed that that wasn't my experience. I have so many questions. <laughs> well, well, first I want to say congratulations for turning your pain into purpose. I think that's beautiful. Um, so I like that you are helping people to practice speaking about their personal experience in, in public, because I do think it takes courage and it does come with practice. And thank you for being a leader in that sense, leading the way. Have you come up, have you um, been able to share with people or, or, or parents what they might do to help to avoid a situation that you have to avoid? Did you say avoid? Or to prevent, avoid? I mean, I mean you know, it, it's, it's, oh, that's a great question. Because I, I will tell you, um, you, there is no way. My mother thought that she was doing the best thing that she could do for me, right? Having me be with family, right? In a safe space, a different type of environment. Like this family didn't live in the hood. They lived in a house, you know? So it's like, here she's thinking, I'm taking my daughter out of, you know, where we lived in the projects to these middle-class home that she will be safe and she will be taken care of and she will be uh, protected, so to speak. And so I tell parents more than pre prevention through conversation, right? You can have those conversations with your children to say, come and you can tell me anything. And you really have to mean that as a parent, right? Because I say, my mother used to say, oh, you could tell me whatever. But my mother was like, she'll fly off the handle. So I, I, you couldn't really judge that as an eight-year-old child as a safe space to speak and share. And so I think that in the conversations that we have with our children, yes, we let them know that they can come to us and speak, speak to us about anything. But we must also make it feel like a safe space as well. And then there are those things that I say, 
pay attention to their actions and their behaviors, right? Children act out. Like what I recognize now that I didn't know then is I was acting the heck out. But no one knew. No one paid attention. I was, I mean, in class, I noticed that my behavior began to be a little more aggressive or assertive, you know, but not in a positive way. It was pretty reckless. But because I went to Catholic school and I was a girl and I got really good grades, they they like let me act up until they couldn't take it anymore. Right. So it was like, well, why didn't anybody tell my mom? She didn't know. They kept this quiet. They didn't tell my mother that I was acting up until they were ready to kick me out of school. It's senior year. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I'm talking all, I'm talking about eight years old to about 12 or 13 is when the molestation took place. So then after that, I'm just acting out. And so I would think that, I mean, and yes, my mother could have, you know, seen some signs, but she didn't know what to look for. You know, we weren't talking about therapy clearly in those days. And where I got some, some glimpse of support was in school because we had something called group therapy and we would talk about a whole lot of things in group therapy and in group therapy, um, is where my journey began. Like I, I didn't really go where the, where the nun told me to go, um, to get support but I always kept it in the back of my mind as a child and then as a young woman and then ultimately as a full-grown adult, I actually went and started getting the support that I needed. Well, thank God you planted that seed in your, in your mind. Absolutely, thank you. So the other thing is, what are three things that you think all women should know? And then obviously only women would have a coochie. Are men welcome at the coochie con? And how do they benefit from it? All right. You asked a few things. So you said three yes. things all women should know. Yes. That you may know. Teach know that no is a full sentence. Trust your instincts. And that water is the most essential thing that your vagina could <laughs> ingest. Like, really? Uh, what's the next thing you said? Oh, are men welcomed at the Coochie Con? And, and, what, and what, what can they take away from it? How could they benefit from it? So I will say that I'm in the process of figuring out a way to have a conversation with men. I get this question a lot. Um, I say that my work is for folks born with wombs now. I changed it because of the, you know, I don't know how gender <laughs> stuff works. Right. I know right. that in terms of like a womb is usually like the people that I'm talking to. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to have had a child, but there's a, there are certain, uh, 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 conversations that are had when you have a womb that when you don't have a womb, you don't have those conversations. And so, yes, men are welcome in a different format of a conversation for the Coochie Con. I don't have men and women come together yet because I don't believe that we have reached that emotional, spiritual, uh, and intellectual, um, 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 in what is the word I'm thinking of? Damn. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Um, maturity. We okay. don't have maturity to be in the room together and have these kinds of dialogues, at least in my opinion, right? Now, it, there are some people who can and will. It's I just think that we could use more. Like the everyday average person still needs to have it segmented. And then at some point, we can bring those ones who have gotten comfortable as women, comfortable as men 
and then bring them into the space. What men can get out of this conversation is what to ask, what to know about your partner, right? If, you're, if you have a partner, if you're a man who's into women and you have a partner who has been impacted by molestation or what I call sexual uh, mishandlings, because not everybody has been raped and blah, 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 blah. It looks different for everybody. But if you have a woman who has ever been violated, you should know that and you should ask, you know, so that you know how to approach her in intimacy and not just in penetration. Sometimes it's in the touch. Some women can't be touched and they don't know why and you don't know why you're thinking it's something wrong with you. I think that there are conversations that we should, could, would have prior to engaging in anything intimate, just on the surface of getting to know a person. And it becomes intimate when you start to reveal it, I presume, because I think that certain conversations are of an intimate nature. But I think that, you know, a lot of communication needs to happen inside of relationships about the area that we all want to get to. You know, it's like, I'm not going to be with you and not have sex with you, whatever that sex looks like for the two of us. And that is an, 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 an the ultimate goal. And so what does that look like for both of us? And I say it to the reverse, because there are a lot of men who have been impacted by sexual mishandlings just the same, and no one is talking about that. And so I think that they also should have the safe space to talk about that and discuss it with their partners in the same way that we are expecting and wanting women to do it. Okay. So I was just curious, did you say that you used to teach or you're currently teaching? I teach in the capacity of all things vagina. I used to oh, teach okay. in the classroom as a regular school teacher, K through college. And okay. I gave that up. Okay, that's what I was curious about. So that means the coochie coach is doing well. Right? <laughs> we want her to absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I was just curious about the business side of it. How do you uh how have you monetized your business? Do you obviously charge for the conferences, the book? What else? So I charge for the conference. Now, sometimes if I have, I have uh, done the conference in small scale for nonprofits, right? So I don't typically charge because they give me an honorarium or something. And that's like the fee. But then there is when I do, like I'm doing one in November and it's an event that I'm hosting, there's a cost associated with it and people pay. I've had one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, I do, I have something called the Coochie College where it's like a group program and people come together and they learn with me for three months and there's a curriculum and they go through that and they invest in themselves and with money, right? And then there is something that I'm working on now because I'm a doula and I've been doing this for quite some time. I've been on this womb journey for about 21 years, maybe when I was 30, I started. And so now I'm looking at working with doulas, midwives and OBGYNs to bring them together to have a conversation about their own healing because they are out here supporting people who are birthing people, but how are they depositing back into themselves? And that's a three month program, but it ends in like um, an exotic retreat. And so that's a little more. After hearing you talking, I have a couple of questions. One, do you ever think about getting credentialized in this area that you already know? 
That means obtaining some sort of certificate or degree. I have a certificate in womb sauna um, okay. healing to do vaginal stings. Okay. I have a certification from Queen of Fua Wellness Institute. Queen of Fua is the quintessential womb healing expert for the past 50 years. And so I have about three certifications from her. And um, I've coaching, uh, I've been coaching since about 2008. Uh, so yeah, I got quite a few certificates in addition to the degrees. And, and the next thing, what I was hearing from you, this is just a suggestion. I don't know if you tried this or not. <clears throat> You should try to tie in with um, some of these professional leagues. Wait, like, say it again? Tie in with the professional leagues, like the NFL and the NBA. I am trying to. Okay. That's my big, that's my big dream. You so know, the, the sister runs the WNBA, and she's the head of the NBA right there in Harlem. Yeah, unless they moved their office. I think they might have moved their office. I think it's... It was it was on 126th Street, right there on Lenox. Around the corner from me. Yeah, yeah. Let me. I'll I'll, I'll get in touch with you on that because my boy yeah. and I told you lives around the corner. But they go through so many problems about what you were talking about, of how to approach, talk, communicate with these women before you really get intimate with them. And I think a seminar by you would be extremely helpful, even if they just did it at the rookie seminar. So we're we gonna try to work a miracle with that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, like literally that was the, that's the big vision from the beginning was to be uh, that person for the WNBA. Mm. I can definitely see that. So with your conference coming up in November, how much is it? Where is it going to be? And what can people expect to, you know, uh, experience when they you, go? And how yeah. can we help you promote it? Is it one day, two days? or what, what? It's a one-day experience. Um, I just realized I have to change the date. It was going to be on November the 11th, but that's my daughter's birthday weekend. Um, and so I'm moving it up to November the Fourth. I mean, we're still working out the day. So either because I got to make sure the venue is available. So it's either going to be the fourth or the weekend after the 11th, which is like the 18th. And it is an op it's going to be hybrid so that it's live and it's uh, going to be on video. And so what I believe that people can expect this time is there is more of me. Right. There's a way that I be. I meant to say that in the space for people to get their lives. And then there's a part of me that I keep a little bit locked up and hidden. So here is going to be completely uh, full on out, all Nikki B and making sure that it is an opportunity for people to get themselves and be as free as they possibly can so that they can heal through some very traumatic and maybe not, or just get empowered by something so that they can live a more liberated love life. So it's, it's interactive and it's interactive. Yeah. They do, I mean, they do writing, they do, they write resumes. We do a number of things. <laughs> I mean, I have something called the coochie. It's a coochie resume now before it used to be a P resume, but now it's a coochie resume. <laughs> and, you know, you do a little work on, you know, your journey, but it's also to give you an opportunity to reflect 
on what you've gotten out of those experiences that can improve your life? And what did you deposit into somebody else's life? Because that's essentially what's happening. So it includes the body count. Say it again. The it body includes count. the body count. <laughs> the body count. I call it the hit list. Oh, okay. <laughs> you all up in people's business. That ain't that oh, that is your business. It's a no, person. I'm about him. <laughs> you know, it that is your business. Is, <laughs> so is, I'm talking about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that came out with uh the Shannon Sharp interview with Brittany Renner. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, she talked about how she had 35. Uh, uh, yeah. What did she say? She slept with 35 men. Yeah, 35 men. She's been with. And he was just like, why is that needed for public consumption? Right. Yeah. He said that. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, going, the, I thing, the thing about it is, I mean, if you want to get into data and statistics and numbers, right? If you, if I think about how I look at it, right? Because I look at sex from a whole different place. If you look at, hey, you had three people, right? And I have sex with you. That means I had sex with four people. Right, which really yeah. means whoever they had sex with, I also had sex with because nine times out of ten, everybody didn't use protection the whole right. time. And right. even when you use protection, there's still this is an energy exchange. Mm -hmm. So, how many energies have you exchanged in your lifetime? Take away the physical aspect of vagina and you know, penis touching and interacting, but think about it from an energetic place like, what does that do, and how what kind of residue is left on you. And then I talk about how to get rid of that residue, right? Because yeah. you don't walk around, you don't want to walk around right. with that for the rest of your yeah. life. How do you purge yourself? Yeah. Purge, yeah. cleanse, yeah. what they say, cut cords, you know, there are so many different ways to eliminate that energy off of you and out of you. Okay, That's so we're going to give it up for Nikki B, the coochie coat. Thoroughly enjoyed the interview. I think that you gave a wealth of information that our listeners and viewers will love. Uh, so we definitely gonna have you back on, uh, and we're gonna help promote your business. So thank you, and uh, we'll talk. Thank you, thank you, Kim. Thank you, Doctor A. Uh, nice to meet you. See you next time. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. So that was good. That was interesting. I thought it would be, you know, and it was. So what did you think? I thought it was very interesting. I've never heard of anything like that. So it's always good to learn about new things. And I hope people will Google her and, and support her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let us move on. <clears throat> So what, so what, so what's the scenario? Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what, so what, so what's the scenario? All right, let's say that one more time. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what, so what, so what's the scenario? Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what, so what, so what's the scenario? Okay, our scenario this week derives from Iman Shumford and what's his his former wife's name? Tiana Taylor. Tiana Taylor. If separated for three years, can you sleep with another person? And is that cheating? 
We want to know, and we're going to talk about it. Uh -huh. So let's talk about it. All right. Well, then let's talk about it. We so want to put the what's the name up here? Potlickyshow@gmail.com. <laughs> you can email us your answers. Okay. Let's just talk just a little bit about Iman Shumpert and Tiana Taylor, because I'm really broken up by this separation. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that. We're not, we're not going to get too deep into it, but I mean, the discussion is kind of based on what they're going through. They, they're They've separated. Been separated for three been, years, right? Right. They were married since 2016. They have two beautiful daughters. Married after seven years of marriage, now they're separating and they are getting a divorce. And I'm really broken up because I'm a big fan of this couple. I used to watch We Got Love. Tiana and Iman, so I'm I'm hurt. But, but if they've been separated three years, that means at <clears throat> in six in in doing the the COVID uh year in 2020, that's when they got separated, right? Oh no, 2021, maybe. <sighs> yeah, I guess that happened to a lot of people who couldn't stand being with their spouse <laughs> in the pandemic. But anyway, I just feel like if you're separated, and even if it's for three years, to me, technically, you're still married, right? So if you're still married, then if you're having relationships with other people, um, then to me, that's that would be cheating. I mean, I understand the relationship is over and all of that. But my thing is, is if you want to start getting, getting you know, dating and being a in a relationship with other people, then you should just get the divorce. I mean, I know it's not that simple for everybody, but I'm thinking, I just, I don't know. I just feel like if I'm in that position, then I would either get my divorce quickly so I can, you know, go, go about my life or I'm just going to continue to behave like someone who's married. That's just me. You know how I am. I think it can play a vital role in whether you want to stay with somebody or whether you want to move on. Mm -hmm. Because if you're heavily into um, sex with other people, then maybe that's something you had in your system and that drove you away from your marriage. M maybe you think like, uh, I really don't want this. There's nothing like the person I married because it's more spiritual. So in this separation, I made a decision. Like I'm going to call that person and say, I want to make this work. Um, I, I believe if you're separated and you're living in a different, um, a different abode, a different house to say, then it's okay. It's okay to date yeah. other people. Yeah, it's okay because uh, I think you're trying out whether you whether you want to move on or not. People want to say, "Well, what's the sense of separation?" Then, yeah, I'll ask that question. Why are you separating? Well, some people se uh, separate because they can't live in peace in one household, like for the sake, or you know, for the sake of everyone's mental well-being. They, they can't. They they, uh, they need a break from it. Either one. Either one. Because so if you I, can't, there's no need for separation. Just get a divorce. To me, when you get a separation, that means you're willing to go back again. That's what I'm thinking. 
Somebody told me something legally is why people get separated. Yeah, I mean, the laws are different. This is not my area of expertise, but the laws on divorce and separation are different in different states. So it depends on what state you're in. In some states, you have to be separated for a year before you can file for divorce. In some states, you can be separate. You can be separated and live in the same house. As long as you don't engage in sexual intercourse, you consider separated right. in the same house. Okay. But so then the, if you slip up and you do have sexual intercourse, the then that period over. starts back over. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so the rules are the laws are different in every state, but okay. I just feel well, technically, legally speaking, you're still married even though you're separated. Because the hope is that you can reconcile and then you don't have to go forward with the divorce proceedings. Well, the the first one is that you said if you have to be separated for a year, then that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. we're going to get divorced, but we have to be separated for a year. Right. That's what they're going to say to see if we can work things out. But if you exactly. have no intentions on working things out, like Remy Martin just cheated on Pat Poos. You know who those people are? Remy Martin or Remy Ma? Remy I'm just Ma. Messing with you. <laughs> just messing with you. Yeah. So I did not know that because they were like so like super tight and so mm-hmm. black love, lovey-dovey, you know? Yeah. I'm surprised to hear that. I'm never surprised. So who cheated on who now? They said Rem- Remy. She, Remy who she Ma snapped out on Papu? Yeah. With who? Do we know? Yeah, this battle rapper named Easy to Block Captain. Oh my goodness. And so what's their situation? Are they they don't look good? They they separated? I know they ain't together right now. I mean okay. I don't think. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. But I just think, you know, separated does not mean divorced. And so if you're separated, you're married. And so if you're married. If you date other people, technically. So you're saying that, you basically saying separation doesn't um, annul the vows. Right. You're still married. That's in your opinion, though. No, that's the law. Is it the law? Yes, it's the law. If you are are legally, if you're separated, you're legally married. That means if somebody slept around doing separation, then you They're committing adultery. well, that's biblical, but infidelity mm-hmm. is the legal term we're looking for. Like, you can hold that person accountable for that. Well, that can be the basis of the, of a divorce. But you already separated. But separated it, does not mean divorce. You you no, agree with I that, right? I understand that, but that mean, that's the question I'm asking you. If you separated and you're sleeping with somebody else can that your your spouse hold that against you and i wouldn't think that would be fair you mean when you say hold that against you you're talking yeah, like about using during the divorce, divorce proceedings yeah. you're Doing using the, that as the right. basis upon which you're filing for divorce well can't that could be part of it yes Right. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of people will use that uh, generic reason. What is it called? Uh, irreconcilable differences. Yeah. Because that's what I probably would use. Regardless. Right. And so if you 
um, start uh, sleeping with someone else, one spouse could claim alienation of affection, for example. But you separated. Right. And but you say when you separated, in, in some else. states, you're not allowed to have sex with that individual. That's true. But 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 if you have a relationship with someone else, aren't you then abandoning any hope of reconciliation with your spouse? No, because people who are in marriages and they cheat all the time. They have no intentions on leaving their spouse. But wouldn't that be wouldn't you be able to make the argument if your spouse is in a relationship with someone else? That's what your question was. You said if they're sleeping with, with someone else, can they use that against their spouse? Yeah, can your spouse use that against you? And I would say yes. I would say yes because you. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but it, it seems it seems ridiculous to me to use that against the spouse. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, and I know, like these vows, like they're not respected anymore, but they are the vows. You know, because okay. a lot of people say, you know, for better or for worse. So really, there shouldn't be any separation. But if you're saying irreconcilable differences, that means that you're claiming that the marriage cannot be reconciled. Like yeah, you cannot. He's you see what I'm saying? He so, exactly. So that's yeah. evidence that there's not going to be any reconciliation. Your honor, he's sleeping with someone else. He's in another relationship. There's probably we're not going to reconcile this relationship and that's evidence of it he's in love with someone else can you please grant us a divorce quickly it's been a year you know grant you know um finalize this divorce so i can move on with my life mm. mm -hmm. so it is cheating to my partner it isn't cheating to me <laughs> all righty that's par for the course with us huh and let us move on like this keep the keep on So today I would like to highlight Ludie A. Little as our little known black history fact. Ludie A. Little was an American lawyer who was one of the first African-American women in the legal profession. She was born on November 19, 1875 in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and was admitted to the State Bar of Tennessee in 1897. She also practiced law in Topeka, Kansas and Brooklyn, New York. In 1898, she joined the faculty of the law school of her alma mater, Central Tennessee College of Law, becoming the first woman to teach law in a chartered law school. Lutie A. Little, our little known black history fact. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna see you in the moment.
Let us move on. All right. So our last plug of the day is always our podcast. And we coming back to one of our favorites, Matt Hopper, my expert opinion. Lately, he's been having some dynamite guests on the show and they've been getting into some serious talks about things that are going on. Um, so you might want to check that out. Uh, also, another person got let go from the show. Uh, Sean Bigger, the man of faith. So, uh, yeah, check that out. And, um, you know, email us. Tell us what you're thinking. What you're thinking. And let us move on. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. So... Let's talk about the government, The what was going to be the government <laughs> shutdown. Let's say that. Let's and you know, I'm a federal government employee, right, Dr. A? Yeah, you, you, you about to get laid off? Yes, it was about to go down for like the third or fourth time since I've been a federal government employee. Oh. And fortunately, the Senate voted to pass a continuing resolution to keep the government funded. This happened Saturday night. And after the House had previously passed the continuing resolution, finally the Senate came around. But while a small group of nine Republican senators voted against the bill, an overwhelming majority of the Republican senators, a total of 88 senators, well, overwhelming majority of their colleagues, not all Republicans, a total of 88 senators voted for this continuing resolution. But we're going to talk about the nine that voted against it and almost made me get laid off my job. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee. Senator Mike Braun, Republican from Indiana. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican from Texas. They're all Republicans. Senator Bill Haggerty in Tennessee. Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Senator Eric Schmidt from Missouri. And Senator J.D. Vance from Ohio. How many women? One? One woman, Marsha eight, Blackburn. Eight men. Shame on you for trying to shut the government down. Yeah, I agree with you. They definitely get a big... Oh, hell no. All right. And let us move on. Give it up, give it up. Okay, we're just giving it up to Megan the Stallion performing with Beyonce in Houston. That was last weekend. That is her idol, she said. So um, she was honored to be on stage with Queen B doing her thing with one of her songs. Super excited if you saw the TikTok video. Uh, I haven't seen the TikTok video. Yes, you have. You want to hear it? You want to yeah. hear it? Here it go. 
Coach Girl, Megan Stanley, aka the Hot Girl Coach, and bitch, I would never shut the fuck up because I perform with Beyonce. Y'all don't know how many times I have cried this goddamn weekend. Like, y'all don't understand. Beyonce is my idol. Like, I really genuinely love Beyonce with my whole fucking heart. I got on this camera because I will go to fucking war behind Beyonce. She was like, shake that shit, queen. Look at how that thing moving. The thing is thanging, cousin. I said, cousin, big cousin. I was really trying to hold myself and be like a bad bitch because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still on stage. Y'all, me and my mama are such huge fans of Beyonce. Like, all, my whole life, I was like, you know what? I want to be the rap Beyonce. And to get the opportunity to get on stage with the woman that I love, like, the woman that is the woman of all the women's, I was up there with Beyonce, bitch. I got me fucked up. That was me trying to do that. Make me say boom, boom, boom. I'm going to get that dance down packed. So, anyways, this is day two. So, me and Kellen back there cutting up as usual, twerking and shit. Because why would I not be twerking? Because I'm up here twerking with the queen. So, anyways, I got up there again, night two. Goddamn. Oh, my God. Look at Beyonce back there cutting up. This is really Megan Stallion and Beyonce on stage. What is happening in the world? Y'all hoes done fucked up. And this is me singing on the way to my dinner. And y'all already know I'm singing Beyonce. I'm pretty sure it was Drunk in Love with a Cup of Remix. This is my best friend, Jayla. And whatever we're talking about, I snatched that motherfucking lash off and I put it on my own goddamn eye. I don't know why I did that. But I love you, best friend. And I love you, Beyonce! <laughs> that is crazy. Minus all the expletive. Yeah, there was too many of those. I know. But yeah. I mean, she was just super excited. And I think a lot of. Beyonce fans share the same excitement and sentiment. Sentiment. I hope they don't articulate it the same way. No. And I like Megan the Stallion, but that was a lot. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> trying to, you know, um, get on the way she speak. It just, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. But I like when she said she's the women of all the women's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here we go today. We did for our plugs Fritos, New Era Fitted Hats, and Math Hoffa, My Expert Opinion. Words of Wisdom went to H. Rap Brown. Individuals do not create rebellion, conditions do. Uh, what's going on was uh, Ibram Kendi uh, at Boston University and his ideology of anti racism. Texas high school student Daryl George being suspended for his hairstyle. Jan Winner uh, removed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's board um, because of what he said about women artists and black artists. And the arrest made in Tupac Shakur's murder 27 years ago. Keefe D, who was the orchestrator of the um, homicide, is now in in custody. Um, we interviewed Nikki Brown, the coochie coach, got a lot out of that information. Our scenario, if you are separated for three years, can you sleep with another person? And is that cheating? Right. Uh, little known history fact went to uh, Ludi A. Lido, right? Um, and we covered, our all hell no was the government possible shutdown that was avoided and we gave it up <clears throat> excuse me to megan the stallion for performing with beyonce and that's our show for today and as always thank you everybody for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us and as always in parting we wish you love peace and knowledge to feed your soul knowledge to feed your soul y'all we will see y'all next week Peace.